Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 154 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we have news that the UK government denies a request to scan Matt Hancock's personal email following revelations revealed in the CCTV data breach, which we brought to you details of in last week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. We then move to the Netherlands, where Dutch authorities have defended the digital Top ID 19 testing system despite a security breach. And we then move to Ireland, where concerns have been expressed over the GDPR compliance of the Irish Top ID19 tracking app. We then move to Japan, where of course the Tokyo 2020 Olympics are underway, and have news that ticket holder data for the 2020 Olympics has been exposed in a data breach. We then return to the UK and to the city of Oxford, where there's been a council data breach after event statements were sent to the wrong tenants. And staying in the UK, we have news of a data breach at the National Lottery Community Fund. UK gun owners have been warned to be wary this week after the guntrader.uk website suffered a data breach. And then we travel to New Zealand, where New Zealand hospitals have had a data breach, particularly around Auckland. Staying with the health sector, we then return to the UK, where the ICO has issued a report detailing an increase in the number of health sector data breaches in the second quarter of 2021. And then we return to the Netherlands, where the CBS database has had a security review, which has led to a new access policy. We then travel to Belgium, where the government has been asked to review its rules for the storage of biometric data. And then we look at the overall importance of your data retention policy. And finally this week, we have news from EDBB, who have issued new guidance on the definitions of data controllers, data processors and joint controllers. So as always, a good mix of articles for you this week here on the GDPR Weekly Show. If you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback that we receive, and where possible, we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into the show. However, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. We mentioned in last week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show about Matt Hancock being investigated for the data breach of CCTV that resulted in pictures of him appearing in national newspapers. One thing which came out as a result of the ICO's inquiry was that it was apparent that Matt Hancock had been using personal email for government business. This week, the government has been accused of another dodgy cover-up after ruling out a search of the former House Secretary Matt Hancock's private email account. Downing Street has admitted the former minister used his personal account for official business campaigners at the Good Law Project asked the government to check his use of private emails so there would be transparency about the awarding of COVID contracts. But the government has rejected requests, arguing that examining private emails was neither necessary nor proportionate. As perhaps might be expected, Labour has condemned the government's decision, saying this is exactly why ministers use private emails to avoid scrutiny and accountability. Labour's Deputy Leader Angela Rayner said the government has already admitted that ministers have been using private emails to conduct official government business. This stinks of yet another dodgy cover-up. But the government said that a search of existing documents indicated it was not necessary to search the private emails of named individuals. However, it's understood that the ICO is extending its inquiry 
to also look at the use of private correspondence channels in the Department of Health and Social Care. If we receive any update on this, either from the government or from the ICO, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To the Netherlands now, and authorities in the Netherlands have defended the country's digital Top ID19 testing system after a serious security flaw was unveiled. An investigation by RTL News found a major leak on the website of Test Corona New, a Dutch company linked on the government's website. The probe found that any online user could access Test Corona News records and create fake negative test certificates in the Dutch Corona Check app. Users could edit two lines of code in to automatically create a valid negative Top ID 19 certificate, it said. RTL News also found that the leak resulted in the personal information of more than 60,000 citizens who had taken the coronavirus test with the company being compromised. The Dutch Ministry of Public Health, Welfare and Sport closed down the Test Corona New website on Sunday and have urged citizens to rebook a test with a different company. But despite the investigation, the Dutch authorities have stood by the system and say the country's plans for a digital green certificate have not been affected. A joint statement from the Dutch Ministers of Health and Infrastructure said a serious information security flaw was present. The vulnerability found at Testerona VUBV is so serious that the connection was suspended immediately. It added saying the leak had also been reported to the Dutch Data Protection Authority. We have not received any signals that anyone other than RTL journalists has gained access to the database, they said. Authorities added that TestRoneU had met the country's strict requirements for connecting to the country's Top ID 19 app and said they were investigating the company's security further. TestRoneU is understood to have 10 locations in the Netherlands and has been carrying out over 3,000 Top ID 19 tests every day. The government spokesman said, We would like to emphasise that the serious vulnerability found only affects one of the test providers connected to CoronaCheck and that measures have been taken immediately. The safety and reliability of the CoronaCheck app were not compromised. The European Union has previously been warned about security digital Top ID 19 certificates to protect them from cyber criminals. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. The Netherlands weren't the only country to have concerns with their Top ID 19 app this week. The Irish Council for Civil Liberties and Digital Rights Ireland have written to the DPC, the Irish Data Protection Commission, seeking an investigation into the use of the Job ID 19 tracker app to store a person's EU digital COVID certificate. To coincide with the implementation of the digital COVID certificate this week, the Job ID 19 tracker app was upgraded to allow holders of the DCC to upload it to the app if they want to. However, concern has been expressed about whether this additional functionality is strictly compliant with GDPR. In their letter to Helen Dixon, the Data Protection Commissioner, Liam Herrick of the ICCL and Antoine O. Lachnan of DRI argue that the upgrade would see personal medical information and identifiers loaded into the app, which goes far beyond the app's original scope. They express concern that the app has not been developed in accordance with the European Data Protection Board, the EDPB, guidelines. They also take issue that the tracker app's updated data protection impact assessment which they claim contains a very general, incomplete and incorrect description of the new functionality concerning the EU Digital COVID Certificate Wallet. They also say the updated DPIA lacks any information about safety and security measures. Last week, the Government Transport Committee heard that the Job ID 19 tracker app could be used as a wallet on someone's smartphone to store the EU Digital COVID Certificate. However, this added feature is not a prerequisite to travel, and it's a person's choice as to whether they want to upload the Digital COVID Certificate to their tracker app. 
people can still use a hard copy of the digital tape of Sitra or else store it on a device through whatever means they choose. We understand that the Irish Health Committee is due to receive an update early next week and as soon as we have that, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. To Japan now and login identification and passwords of some Tokyo 2020 Olympic and Paralympic Games ticket holders have reportedly been leaked online. Japanese news agency Kyodo quoted an unnamed government official who said the Tokyo 2020 Organising Committee had launched an investigation into the issue. The official claimed the leak was not large. People who signed up to serve as volunteers for the delayed Olympic and Paralympic Games may also have been impacted. The data breach is considered to have been caused by someone accessing a computer or smartphone unauthorised, according to Kyodo News. The British Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Office and the National Cyber Security Centre had previously warned the Russian military intelligence service, known as GRU, had conducted cyber reconnaissance against organisers, logistics services and sponsors with the aim of compromising computer systems and sabotaging the running of Tokyo 2020. Organisers in Japan claimed there was as little disruption to the games, however with extensive cyber security preparations already in place. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. Back to the UK now and to Oxford, where Oxford City Council have apologised to residents after a computer error towards the potential data breach over rent statements. The apology comes after locals raised the alarm of the potential breach after they received wrong rent statements in the post. One resident said, I received a letter that was addressed to my address, but not with my name. I mistakenly did not read the name, just opened it, and it was a statement of main rent account. It had another person's name on it, their reference, their payments and dates, and their addresses. The resident said they rang the council office and took all the details and confirmed that they were aware there was a problem. The issue is said to have occurred after a new computer system that supports services the council's landlord services to its 7,800 council homes was installed. The council subsequently asked the resident to destroy the letter and confirmed that he had not shown it to anyone. Currently, the council believes that around 80 homes have been affected, however they are looking to verify that number. Caroline Green, the CEO of Oxford City Council, said the problem occurred last week after quarterly rent statements were sent out. Errors in the system meant data being transferred from the old system to the new one, resulting in a small proportion of the rent statements being sent to the wrong address. The council said it was currently taking immediate steps to rectify the errors, with staff manually overriding the system to check statements while working to resolve the underlying data issue. Ms Green added, because this error is a potential breach of the Data Protection Act, the Council has reported the matter to the Information Commissioner's Office to investigate. The new system replaces legacy systems that were approaching the end of their useful life. Combining these into a single efficient platform will, once these initial issues are resolved, offer tenants improved reporting and access to information on rent accounts, repairs, online applications and two-way communications with council and ODS staff through a dedicated customer portal. The council says it's written to all tenants affected to offer apologies for any concerns or inconvenience the error caused. The ICO have confirmed that they have received details of this data breach and are currently investigating. If we receive any update from either Oxford City Council or from the ICO, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Remaining in the UK and the UK National Lottery Community Fund has reported a data breach exposing the sensitive personal data, including bank account information of grant holders and applicants. 
The National Lottery Community Fund distributes funds raised by the National Lottery ticket sales to various good causes, awarding more than £588 million to 8,189 community projects in 2019 and 2020. In a statement, the fund said the breach relates to data provided to us between September 2013 and December 2019 by UK Portfolio, England Funding and Building Better Opportunities Customers. Anyone who submitted grant applications via National Lottery funding programmes for Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales are not affected by the breach. It's understood that the compromised data was submitted both during grant applications and by existing grant holders supplying additional information. The organisation has not indicated how the breach occurred or how many victims might be involved. The National Lottery Community Fund said the exposed data includes names, physical addresses, email addresses, landline and mobile numbers, dates of birth, bank account details and applicant organisations, addresses and websites. The organisation emphasised that bank account pins, passwords and bank card details were not involved since it doesn't collect these details. A spokesperson for the fund said this is an ongoing investigation, however, and any other personal data which may be affected, we will update our website if this is confirmed. The National Lottery Community Fund said it's reported the incident to the ICO. Anyone who thinks they may be affected has been urged to consider updating passwords for their online accounts and to watch out for phishing emails or phone calls and fraudulent activity on their bank accounts. We are sorry for the worry and inconvenience this may cause, a National Lottery Community Fund spokesman said. This is the first time we've reported a data breach to the ICO. We have a long track record of serving communities and our grant holders efficiently and securely. We've made a mistake here and we want to reassure grant holders that we're taking this incident very seriously and are committed to learning and improving from it. Again, if we receive any update either from the National Lottery Communities Fund or the ICO, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. Gun owners across the UK were told to be wary this week after thousands of names and addresses belonging to UK customers of a leading website for buying and selling shotguns and rifles have been published on the dark web following a data breach. GunTrader.UK said it learned of the breach on Monday and had notified the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO. It's understood that police, including the National Crime Agency, are investigating the breach. One affected gun owner said he was afraid the breach could lead to his family being targeted by criminals. Gun ownership is tightly controlled in the UK, making guns difficult to acquire, and it also means that guns are potentially valuable on the black market. One gun owner said, The breach seriously compromises my security arrangements for my firearms and puts me in a situation where me and my family could be targeted and in danger. GunTrader.UK, the website affected, said around 100,000 customer records were stolen, but no information relating to gun ownership or the location of firearms was taken. The British Association for Shooting and Conservation is urging its members to be vigilant around home security following the breach. In a statement published on its website, it said the personal data had been listed on a hacker's website. Our advice to members would be to check home security and be extra vigilant. Make sure all firearms are appropriately locked away and make sure buildings are kept secure. The National Crime Agency said we are working closely with Gun Trader and the SWRCCU, the Southwest Regional Cybercrime Unit, to better understand the incident and manage any potential impact. Police reiterated security advice to shotgun owners and urged that they report any suspicious activity. Here in the UK, gun laws require firearms to be securely locked away when they're not in use, adding that the majority of police forces will come out and check a gun holder's security arrangements before granting a firearm certificate. 
to New Zealand now and fears that patient data may have been stolen from Auckland hospitals. It's understood that the data breach may have occurred at an organisation that provides health IT services to more than a third of New Zealand amid growing indications of a serious cyber security incident. A spokesperson for the Office of the Privacy Commissioner said it was notified by County's Manitou DHB of a possible data breach on Wednesday. The notification was made by the DHB on behalf of Health Alliance, which also provides the IT services used by Auckland, Waitanata and Northland District Health Boards. A spokesman for Health Alliance said earlier that it had identified indication of unusual activity on its systems. An investigation was underway to understand and address the cause of the unusual activity. A spokesman for the Ministry of Health said it was providing support to the investigation. Health Alliance's spokesman indicated there was nothing to link the activity to the ransomware attack on Waikato DHB in May this year and said that all Northern Region DHB IT systems were functioning normally. The four DHBs supported by the House Alliance together serve about 1.9 million New Zealand citizens. If we receive any update on this from the health authorities involved, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday 4pm UK time. Back to the UK now and a report issued by the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, shows that between April 2021 to June 2021, there were 607 data security incidents in the UK health sector, up from 420 in the previous quarter. According to the report, the most common reasons for data to fall into the wrong hands were that it was lost or stolen from an insecure location, which happened in 112 instances, or sent to the incorrect recipient, in which case there were 67 sent by email and 56 by post or fax. In 73 instances, there was unauthorised access to an IT system, 65 being non-cyber and 8 via cyber methods, and in 19 cases there was verbal disclosure of data. In 8 cases, failing to use BCC in an email meant email addresses were visible to all recipients. And as we've said before, if you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, the failure to use BCC is probably the number one cause which we see across the country for there being data breaches that occur. And it's so simple to put right, just train your staff to use BCC rather than CC if there are external email addresses in the list of people that the email is being circulated to. All health service organisations in England must use the Data Security and Protection Instant Reporting Tool. This has been designed to identify those breaches that meet the threshold for notification to the ICO. The reporting tool shares relevant incidents with NHS Digital, the DHSC, the ICO and other regulators. This system is not currently available in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, where health authorities and surgeries have to make individual decisions on whether to report a data breach to the ICO. All health authorities and surgeries and hospitals are advised that if there is an urgent security related incident, they can contact the Data Security Centre help desk on 0300 303 5333 or by emailing inquiries at nhsdigital.nhs.uk. If the data breach occurred in a GP's practice, then any breach of patient data would usually be discussed under the practice's significant event audit process to identify learning points. Some of the examples which were included in the report were a GP emailed a letter intended for one patient to another with a similar name. The letter, which a patient had requested for ongoing custody proceedings, outlined mental health history, medication history and details relating to drug and alcohol abuse. 
The practice was contacted by the second patient who was shocked to receive a letter containing such sensitive details, realising it did not relate to her. The practice apologised to the second patient for this data breach, ensuring the letter was deleted. A senior GP also rang the patient who was the subject of the letter to explain what had happened. The practice provided a formal written summary of the situation to the patient, apologising and providing details of the actions they'd taken. They offered a meeting and gave details of how to complain if the patient remained dissatisfied. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We return to the Netherlands now and Statistics Netherlands, CBS, has asked the Committee of Independent Scientific Experts to investigate external researchers' use of remote access to consult CBS databases. The committee's study showed that although CBS's remote access provision satisfies current security and privacy standards, security and privacy must continue to be prioritised in order to safeguard the situation for the future. CBS has said that in view of the findings, it will bring in a stricter policy as of the 1st of August this year. Under the Dutch Statistics Netherlands Act, CBS can grant access to microdata for statistical or scientific research purposes with the aim of optimising the social value of CBS data as much as possible. Access is structured in such a way that authorised external researchers can only consult the microdata within CBS's secure online environment using a remote access facility. This means that CBS can maintain maximum control over the intended uses, privacy and information security. CBS has decided to prioritise security over ease of use. CBS's advisory board recognises the importance of reviewing the policy on access to microdata. The new policy will enter into force on the 1st of August 2021 and will be widely publicised, for instance, in the Dutch government Gazette. CBS will also write to all the institutes that currently have remote access to their microdata to inform them about the new policy. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com To Belgium now, and an independent Belgian regulator charged with ensuring compliance with personal data protection policies wants citizen feedback on proposed tighter biometrics rules. Belgian Data Protection Authority officials have published a 41-page document recommending that Belgian legislators bring national laws into accordance with GDPR. The guidance document is a hard read and it certainly requires a working knowledge of GDPR. The goal is to compile coherent regulations in line with the EU standard that citizens and anyone collecting using and holding biometric data can follow. The recommendations primarily affect government and industry using biometrics for civil identification purposes, but authors of the document invite lawmakers to address the balance between society's expectation to be safe from crime and the individual's right to privacy. Belgian lawmakers, according to the authors, have to create legislation setting out how biometric data can be processed if they want to continue to authorise specific uses of the data. Given the complexity of the task, data protection authority officials have given the national government a one-year cushion. They can continue to operate under existing, albeit inadequate, rules until this time next year, when new rules can be voted on by the legislators. We've received a number of inquiries to our help desk lately about document retention schedules and, and how important they are to GDPR. It's important that you do have a clear data retention policy which sets out your various types of data and how long you keep them for. And so we recommend that you implement a five-step process. The first, which you're required to do under Article 30 of GDPR anyway, is to update or create a data inventory. So know what kind of data you have, where you store it, who owns it, and what you hold it for. Once you've done that, then document your compliance obligations. In order to know when you can delete data, you need to understand the full array of legal and compliance obligations that that data is subject to, 
which might not just be privacy obligations. For example, for accounts information, then there's a legal requirement to hold it for six years anyway. Once you've done that, then create your data retention schedule, but make sure that you review and revise it regularly. Once you've done all that, then you can publish your policy. It's important that the policy tells employees what's expected of them throughout the life cycle of the data, from the point of capsule creation through its usage and management sharing, and eventually its disposal. And then also define the data disposal process. So ensure that your process is not only reasonable, but it's documented, consistent, repeatable, and auditable. And if you take all those five steps, then really your data retention policy should not be a source of mystery to you. It should be something which you can readily put together, readily update, and readily have available should anyone ask to see it. Of course, if you need any help with putting the document retention schedule together, please do reach out to us either email helpdesk at gprweeklyshow.com or contact us using the contact details that are coming up at the end of this week's episode. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. And finally for this week, on July the 7th, the EDPB, the European Data Protection Board, adopted its finalised guidelines on the concept of controller and processor in the context of GDPR. While the EDPB's predecessor, the Article 29 Working Party, had issued guidance on the concepts of controller and processor way back in 2010, many practical concerns have been raised since the entry into force of GDPR. These concerns relate in particular to the concept of joint controllership in Article 26 of GDPR and the specific obligations on processors, mainly in Article 28 of GDPR. To address these concerns, EDPB published draft guidelines last year which were opened to public consultation. The newly released guidelines have taken into account the feedback from various stakeholders. With these new guidelines, the EDPB seeks to provide guidance on the concepts of controller and processor based on GDPR's definitions contained in Article 4 GDPR and provisions governing the obligations of controllers and processors in Chapter 4 GDPR. In the first part of the guidance, the EDPB clarifies the precise meaning of controller, joint controller and processor and analyses the different building blocks of their legal definitions. The EDPB emphasises that criteria for the correct interpretation of these concepts must be sufficiently clear and consistent throughout the European Economic Area, the EEA, as these are functional but autonomous concepts that play a crucial role in the application of GDPR. The concepts are functional concepts in that they aim to allocate responsibilities according to the actual roles of the parties. In the second part, the EDPB explains the consequences of attributing different roles between joint controllers and processors as well as their respective responsibilities. With respect to the relationship between a controller and a processor, the EDPB underlines the requirement to ensure that there is a contract or other legal act in place which covers the requirements set out in Article 28, Paragraph 3 of GDPR. The EDPB emphasises that this contract or other legal act should not merely restate the requirements outlined in Article 28, Paragraph 3 of GDPR, rather it should include more specific concrete information as to how the requirements will be met in practice, i.e. by specifying how particular information will be communicated, when it will be communicated, and to who it will be communicated. In the finalised version of the guidance, EDPB appears to be particularly keen to point out that certain responsibilities, such as notifying a data breach to a supervisory authority, carrying out a data protection impact assessment or mandating an auditor, remain the responsibility of the data controller, even where the data processor may be assisting in these activities. 
As to the standard contractual clauses adopted for the purposes of Article 28, Paragraph 3 of GDPR, the EDPB explains that use of these standard contractual clauses is not necessary, but that relying upon them may contribute to rebalancing power between the parties where one party is in a weaker position. With regards to being joint controllers, the EDPB reminds joint controllers that they must determine and agree on their respective responsibilities to ensure compliance with the GDPR. Again, they say that joint controllers need to set out who does what by allocating tasks, roles and responsibilities. Now, if you need any help with interpreting these new rules from the EDPB, I mean, they, they are not strictly new, they're largely reinforcing what was already there, but there, there are some important new caveats then please do get in touch with us using the contact details that are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurety production. Until next time, bye-bye.